It's time for Security Now. Steve Gibson is here. We're going to talk about, well, he calls it the death of Clever. What password crackers know about your password and how easy it is to crack. It's coming up next on Security Now. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Audio bandwidth for security now is provided by the new Winamp for Android, featuring wireless sync and one-click iTunes import. Now with free daily music downloads and full-length CD listening parties. Download it for free at winamp.com slash Android. Video bandwidth for security now is provided by Cashfly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 366, recorded August 22nd, 2012. The Death of Clever. Security Now is brought to you by Ford. Ford invites tech geeks to join the conversation, submit ideas, and grab your tech geek badge at social.ford.com. It's time for Security Now, the show that covers security and all that great stuff with this cat right here, the explainer-in-chief, Mr. Stephen Tiberius Gibson. (laughs) (laughs) I gave you a middle name. I was, uh, I I watched uh, a a fun movie the other day, um, which had a sort of a surprise for me, Um, sci-fi, of course, well, not of course, but in this case it was. Um, the Puppet Masters. I don't know that. Uh, Donald Sutherland and uh, some other people who we've not really seen much of. But, um, and, I, and I watched it with Jenny. Jenny had never seen it before, and she really enjoys sci-fi as much as I do. But she was sort of thinking, well, okay, all of these plot vehicles are sort of familiar. Like, well, you know, this is from Aliens, and this is from this, and this is from that. And I said, yeah, but this was a lot that this was like predated them all. Well, I didn't know by how much until I found my copy of the paperback, which there was copyright 1951. Wow. And I was like, whoa, Robert Heinlein really was ahead of his time. That was just, it's amazing. But And when, it, when was I, the movie made? Oh, the movie was in the like late 80s, I think, or maybe early 90s. Wasn't. A long time ago, although I didn't remember how hokey the cinematography was, we were sort of laughing about it because it was it was kind of cheesy. You know, it's but, funny. You know, it doesn't take long. I was watching the Total Recall with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the original, yeah, and that was the late eighties, something like that. And it really looks dated. It looks like a bad seventies cop show, practically. I mean, it's yeah, funny yes, how far we've come. A, yes, that this had exactly the same feel. And I and I was asking Jen. I said, "What? What is it that like? I mean, it was." And it's like a s- little subtle things, I guess, yeah. that have evolved in our understanding of of how to make something and fast. That, yes, because uh, they're, they're telling me IMDb says nineteen ninety four for that movie, so that was only eighteen okay. years ago. That's not a huge uh, wow difference. But things have, you know, it's computers. <laughs> You've heard about them, right? They've made yeah. a big difference in uh, everything, including filmmaking. There was sort of some exposure, like it was kind of overexposed or a little too much brightness or contrast. It just like, and oh, the other thing I noticed was that they seemed to be much more kind of in our face as if we were looking at a smaller screen much further away. Interesting. Than, 
than we are now. Yeah. Now we've got much bigger screens. They generally are closer. Yeah. And of course, their resolution is way up. So we don't need things really big in our face yep. any longer. Yep. Yep. We've gotten subtler and we have more lens flares. That's right. Chippo burrito. <laughs> That's the, thanks to Joss Whedon, I think. Um, today, the show is called the not the Puppet Masters, the Death of Clever. Well, yes, this is a, I guess I would call this a crowdsourced topic because there has never been an article that received so much tweeting to my attention as an article, a recent article in Ars Technica, uh, their, their cybersecurity guy, Dan Gooden, uh, did a very nice, very comprehensive four-page piece about sort of a, a snapshot on where we stand with password hacking. And obviously, this is a recurring topic for us. Um, but I, I decided that we really needed I, – I, I, well, first of all, many people were tweeting, Steve, what do you think? What do you think? Is he right? Blah, blah, blah. Now, he didn't really draw any conclusions. We will, because this is what we do in the podcast, to have some takeaways from this. But what I felt as I was reading it was that I, I needed to make sure our listeners understood something that I don't think I've ever made sufficiently clear. So – I, I titled this Password Cracking Update, The Death of Clever. <laughs> Be because what this really drives home is that, is and this is really interesting too, because this is a consequence of the breaches that we've had. We've been, you know, we've covered these massive breaches for the last few years. Well, it turns out having access to more than 100 million actual in-use passwords, which is what are now available, freely downloadable over the Internet, having those actual passwords has changed the complexion of password cracking. All of those things that, you know, that we sort of wink, wink about doing, like, you know, uh, changing uh, alphabetic characters into the numbers that they resemble or, or you know, those sorts of things. And we'll talk about what those are because they've all been analyzed now. What, what's happened is, and this is an, another thing you would expect, over time there's evolution of the technology. The cracking is really getting better. And so, so this... Today's podcast, driven by so many questions who that, that were tweeted to me about it, uh, will update everyone. And if anybody still thinks that they're being cute with their, you know, the way they're designing passwords, um, I hope to be able to increase their security further by putting them off of those habits because they're just not working any longer. And we've got a bunch of interesting news as well. You know, we you you must be hitting something people want to know because we just we have five people in studio here watching. We've got the Gale family; they're visiting from Vancouver, and we've got Joe visiting from Richmond. And six more people have arrived. I guess they heard you're going to be talking about this, and and we're we have an overflow audience here at the Brick House. We're going to have to put them in the living room. You, you need stadium seats. <laughs> 
Boy, you're turning out to be quite the popular fella, Steve. Good. Uh, this oh. will be very. This I'm looking forward to. I actually saw that article. I read that article, and it scared me a little bit because, um, well, he mentions a uh, a well-known person who has a password that is I would have thought secure, and how easy it was to crack it. And it reminded me a lot of the of, a, of passwords that I have used. Well, yes, and and, and that's that's really what I want to. I, I think one of the takeaways is. Um, he, he actually refers to a um, a doctoral thesis uh, by someone who analyzed how badly human chosen passwords are. So the idea is you just you don't want it to be up to you. Yeah. You want to turn Generate. over yep. responsibility to I, something else. I've started after reading that article more religiously using the generator. Built into yep. LastPass, and I set it for twelve characters and yep. and uh, special characters mixed and everything. Although I'm a little disappointed, I opened an account at a new bank the other day, and <laughs> I was actually quite disappointed. First of all, I could only use I can't remember what it was twelve or thirteen. It, after that, it stopped. You know, I yep. couldn't I couldn't use more characters, which I know from listening to the show means it wasn't they're not hashing passwords or wouldn't matter. Uh, and second, that they wouldn't allow me to use special characters. Yeah, I get reports of these sorts of bad security practices constantly. Gosh. So it's it's amazing how widespread this is. And yet they and, use two-factor authentication. They do all yeah. sorts of, you know, jump-through-hoops things. So I'll just turn that on, yeah. and now I feel a little bit better about it. But, That's good. Yeah. Well, so um, one one bit of news that I thought was important because it has been underreported and misreported and it potentially bears on our listeners. And that is that our friend Moxie Marlin Spike, <laughs> along with a uh, an associate of his, Dave Holton, gave a presentation at the DEF CON 20 um, conference some time ago. I think it was like in June. Um, but one, but their particular talk was just—I don't know if it wasn't—if it was that it was not understood or what the problem was. But for example, the threat post site uh, said new tool from Moxie Marlin Spike cracks some crypto passwords, and I saw some other sort of lukewarm explanations of of what Moxie and Dave did. And I thought, okay, I, I need to give this a little bit of time because people need to understand what happened. Um, the uh, um, what they looked at was an a long-standing mutual authentic authentication protocol that Microsoft created called CHAP, C H A P, or in Microsoft's version, MS hyphen C H A P, which what did have security problems in version one, which they updated to version two, and it's made people uncomfortable, but not sufficiently uncomfortable. The reason this is important is that it is still the authentication protocol used in almost all VPNs. Most VPNs are still using the so-called point-to-point tunneling protocol, which we talked about years ago, PPTP, you may remember when we were having fun with that acronym, Leo. <laughs> yes, I do. And many enterprise environments 
are using this for their radius server authentication in their WPA2 environments. So just to read from the beginning of Moxie's um, posting, he said, the first obvious question is why we looked at MS-CHAP version 2, given a lingering sense that the Internet should already know better than to rely on it. He said, unfortunately, however, even as an aging protocol with some prevalent criticism, it's still used quite pervasively. It shows up most notably in PPTP VPNs, and it's also used quite heavily in WPA2 enterprise environments, often in cases where its mutual authentication properties are being relied upon. For the talk, (coughs) excuse me, for the talk, we put together a list of the hundreds of VPN providers which are now dependent on PPTP. That is, you know, all of these commercial VPNs that are available online are using PPTP, point-to-point tunneling protocol. This included some high-profile examples such as iPredator. The Pirates Bay VPN service, which is presumably designed to protect communication from state-level observation, and so on. And in the case of the Pirates Bay, they say on on their site, right now we only offer PPTP, where this MSCHAP is the authentication protocol for it. Well, without going into infinite detail, because there's really no point, um, I mean, uh, Moxie does describe this on his cloud cracker site in in sufficient detail um what they essentially did is they carefully analyzed the handshake which the endpoints that are negotiating for mutual authentication go through and looked carefully at the assumptions and what was known and they managed to reduce it through a through a very clever series of analysis down to a total complexity of only 2 to the 56 so that's 56 bits which is the strength of a single D- DES encryption and we all know that DES has yeah. long since been determined to be extremely, you know, uh, far from secure enough. Triple DES is what we we use now, three times, right? Yes, yes. Um, and I had, uh, let's see, I had it, and I'm afraid I closed it. I had the page open to, um, shoot, um, to his, to oh, his I can, blog site. You want me to show, and, I, can, I can link to it. I have your notes. Ah, no, I, I wanted to explain what he's done so that I get everyone's attention here because this is um, this is, I, I found it here um, this is significant in uh, essentially in what these guys what these guys have done um, because what, what, what the way Moxie explained it um, he go uh, on, on his page he breaks down the protocol um, shows how they they divide this thing um, in its in the way the handshaking is going all the way down to a key space essentially of two to the fifty six which we know 
is not strong. So then he says, at this point, a question of feasibility remains. In 1998, the EFF used ASICs, um, application-specific ICs, to build their deep crack machine, which cost them, in 1998, a quarter of a million dollars. And it took an average of four and a half days to track to, to crack a, a 56-bit DES key. Dave Holton's company, Pico Computing, specializes in building FPGA, field programmable gate array hardware, which is like sort of a, a modern-day version of, of an ASIC, but you're able to just load, load the, the circuitry into it through software. He specializes in building FPGA hardware for cryptography applications. They were able to build an FPGA box that implemented DES as a real pipeline with one DES operation for each clock cycle with 40 cores at 450 megahertz. That's 18 billion keys per second that this this box based on basically standard hardware, is able to crack. With 48 field programmable gate array chips, the Pico Computing DES cracking box gives us a worst case of about 23 hours for cracking a DES key and an average case of about a day. I'm sorry, an average case of half a day, worst case 23. So that's what we would expect. Uh, you know, you might you might get lucky and and hit it um, on average of half of the worst case time. So the worst case, about 23 hours, is the entire 56-bit key space. And you're probably going to get it in half that. So he says... Wow. People, yeah, That's the average, yeah. right? Is half that. Right. But th- these guys, what I love about Moxie is, is his, he drives it, you know, because he has Moxie, all the way home. He says, with Pico Computing's DES cracking machine in hand, we can now crack any MS-CHAP V2 handshake in less than a day. It wouldn't be a ton of fun if only David or I could crack MS-CHAP version 2 handshakes, however. So, we've integrated the DES cracking box with CloudCracker. In order to make David and his team's genius and skills and resources available to everyone, we've published a tool called Chap Crack, which will parse a network capture for any MS Chap version 2 handshakes. For each handshake, it outputs the username, the known plain text, two known ciphertexts, and the crack, and will crack the third DES key. It will also output a cloud cracker token, which is an encoded format of the three parameters we need for our divide and and conquer attack, which is what they called this attack. When this token is then submitted to cloud cracker, The job is transmitted to Pico Computing's DES cracking box, and you receive your results in under a day. What do you win? At this point, you can plug the cracked MD4 hash CloudCracker gives you back into ChapCrack, 
and it will decrypt the entire network capture for and all future captures for that user. So he says, alternatively, you can also use it to log in to the user's VPN service or WPA2 enterprise radius server. So what they have done is completely reduced this protocol to rubble, which is the number one most used protocol for VPN authentication today, used by thousands of commercial VPN services. So this means you capture the traffic and you, you I mean, you got to jump through some hoops. So this is not yet, you know, single push button ease, but we know that, you know, that's the way these things begin is not being that way and they evolve into that. And this will decrypt the entire VPN encrypted communications. So wow. I thought that was just worth mentioning. Leo. But does anybody use, what is it, chap for, chap? Uh, does anybody use it anymore? Every VPN. Oh crap! <laughs> yeah, Chap V two. That's how VPN. Oh, I thought yes. it was just Mike. Not just Microsoft. No, the point-to-point -point oh. tunneling protocol. Is, all PPTP it, does it. Not just Microsoft's implementation. Yes, all oh, PPTP. But it is Microsoft's Chap V two. Uh, it is, but that's a. It, it, it's an RFC standard that everybody else has adopted. Wow. Yeah. And we thought VPN was safe. Yeah. So How practical I, is this? Again, this is, well, for example, you want to use an SSL VPN. Right. That's, the, that, that's the buzzword you look for. You don't want to use PPTP. Unfortunately, most VPNs today, and for example, the Pirate Bay's VPN, that's all they offer right. for their service, is they're all using PPTP just yeah. because... Of inertia, right. basically, you know, it's stable, it's reliable, it's free, um, it's you know online and open source, and that's what people set up when they're creating VPNs. Well, if your traffic is captured, um, Moxie and his team now make it trivial to to basically wow. decrypt the entire conversation. Wow, yeah, wow, <laughs> that is kind of surprising. <laughs> Wow. Now, um, I saw something really nice. Uh, Reuters uh, on Monday uh, put up a story about how um, a group is working on strengthening the security of cars, which I'm really glad for because I'm really worried about automotive security as everybody rushes to compete with each other, you know, headlong into more technology. What caught my eye in the article, and the reason I wanted to mention it, was a reference specifically to Ford, and it's, a, it's good news. So uh, I'm just going to share that much of, of, of the top of the article. Um, this was written by Jim Finkel for Reuters. He said, uh, in Boston, a team of top hackers working for Intel Corp's security division toil away in a West Coast garage searching for electronic bugs that could make automobiles vulnerable to lethal computer viruses. Intel's McAfee unit, which is best known for software that fights PC viruses, is one of a handful of firms that are looking to protect the dozens of tiny computers and electronic communication systems that are today 
built into every modern car. It's scary business. Security experts say that automakers have so far failed to adequately protect these systems, leaving them vulnerable to hacks by attackers looking to steal cars, eavesdrop on conversations, or even harm passengers by causing vehicles to crash. And, of course, we've talked about these problems, those specific problems, um, through the last few years as this has has begun to make the news. Um, Quote, you can definitely kill people, unquote, said John Bumgarner, chief Aye. technology off. Sorry. Hey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You can slam you can, like on lock the up the brakes. Yeah. And, yes. Uh, said John John Bumgarner, chief technology officer of the U.S. Cyber Consequences Unit, a nonprofit organization that helps companies analyze the potential for targeted computer attacks on their networks and products. To date. There have been no reports of violent attacks on automobiles using a computer virus, according to SAE International, an association of more than 128,000 technical professionals working in the aerospace and the auto industries. Yet, Ford spokesman Alan Hall said his company had tasked its security engineers with making its sync in-vehicle communications and entertainment system as resistant as possible to attack. Quote, Ford is taking the threat very seriously and investing in security solutions that are built into the product from the outset, yeah. he said, which was frankly, that was good news. It's a relief. No, I know, Alan, yeah. and I know this because I've talked to their technologists, as you know, for years, yep. and they have a very clear separation between the in-car computer you know the real computer and the uh they, it's not the same computer even yeah the there sink. was a there was one instance where a an infected cd was played in the cd player that allowed it to get out of the player and into the car's automotive electronics not in a ford not in a Ford. <laughs> I just want to point this out. Not in a Ford. In another and, 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 in another company's setup. No, and we've yep. seen all sorts of weird, you know, you could oh, drive yeah, but, by I mean, and they can reprogram the car, but that's not in a Ford because they they understand this and they very yep. intentionally separate the two systems. Yep. And and, and just to wrap up, it, it said and a group of US computer scientists took the industry in or shook the industry in 2010 and we covered it then with a landmark study that showed viruses could damage cars when they were moving at high speeds. Yep, yep. Their tests were done at a decommissioned airport. And, uh, they, <laughs> In case the car they took off. <laughs> they weren't pretty. <laughs> yeah, no, we, I, remember, I remember we did that story. In fact, it was after that yep. that I asked the Ford folks. Yep. And they, they said, were, oh, no, 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 you could no, 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 couldn't happen with us. Yep, and I was just glad to see that Ford and Allen were were quoted as saying, "Yes, we're on top of it because this is something you need to get ahead of and not be, you know, react. You need to be proactive rather than reactive." And finally, um, Amazon has a new service that I just I every time I look at the name, it makes me grin, uh, and I'm glad for it because I think it's really interesting. It's called Glacier. Um, what it is... Oh, I like this. Yes. It is It is 
long-term like logo too. <laughs> archival. Yes, long-term archival storage for an amazingly low price. The idea is it is glacial in Brilliant. its response. Yes. So again, quoting from them, they said Amazon Glacier is an extreme and it's just it's aws.amazon.com slash glacier g-l-a-c-i-e-r amazon glacier is an extremely low-cost storage service that provides secure and durable storage for data archiving and backup in order to keep costs low Amazon Glacier is optimized for data that is infrequently accessed and for which retrieval times of several hours are suitable. So it's it's offline storage. Yeah. With with Amazon Glacier, customers can reliably store large or small amounts of data for as little as and here it is 1 penny per gigabyte per month that's awesome that's, that means it's 10 bucks a terabyte that's great yes, yes. let's see so Is that right let's see so a hundred gigabytes for a dollar per month so, so a thousand gigabytes for ten dollars yeah yep terabyte yep. for ten dollars that's yeah that's that's amazing i would that's great yes um so uh, um, the way they have it organized, data are stored as archives. Retrieval of an archive takes their, their quoting, three to five hours. Archives are organized in vaults, and there is zero transit cost to upload. Unlike uh, Amazon S3... Where you pay for actually S three has gone to zero. For oh, it has too, because you used to pay yes. for transmission plus storage. Now it's just storage. Yes. Well, no, and or retrieval. You do ah. pay for transit down to you, but not right. up to them. Which I love because my main application is is you know sending images up right. to them after I encrypt it locally. That's so, what I'm going to do. This is my. This is where I put my photos. And yes. then, and then my children and my children's children will be able to ignore those photos for generations <laughs> to come. <laughs> so, um, I, I don't know what the model is. I mean, I don't think it's tape. I think it must be powered down offline hard drives. That they they must actually take them and pull them out of servers and store them somewhere so that if you submit a request maybe it's a bot or a robot or i don't know if it's a person or or what the model is but you know somebody goes down it's an i know what it is it's, it's an indiana jones style giant warehouse yes i think it probably and, and actually and a machine is machine goes down a robot goes down gets the heart pulls it out and runs it down to the data center where i bet that's what it is yeah, I bet it's not bots, though, because that wouldn't really be explain that time delay unless they just want to give themselves they, some buffer. They want to but give you the time just, delay so that you don't uh, so that you don't use this instead of S three. That could be completely true. arbitrary. That's a very good point. It's just a it's just a distinction. I love this. This is great. Who doesn't? Who I mean, I know. Bucks, I, uh, I'm I'm never needing to access right. these the the these snapshot images urgent. fast. 
but you but you don't want them to break the bank and three to five hours that's fine for a big image so anyway i i really think this is a nice service very 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 cool how and then i have is it going is it started yeah it's available now that's great Yeah. yeah and i did get a nice note short one from a wayne scott uh, in Australia, who said, I've known about Spinrite for many years, using it on my own PCs after deciding to purchase a copy when I had to do a recovery on a customer's hard drive. Another company had attempted data recovery before that and returned the drive as faulty and unrecoverable. So I wanted to have a go. Where the data recovery company had failed, other Sp- he says other Spinrite. It's a little typo here. Where the data recovery company had failed, Spinrite made the drive readable once again, and I got the data off. The customer was very happy because it was for the tax department. So once again, Spinrite to the rescue. You don't want to lose your tax information. (laughs) No, you don't. Mm -hmm. All right. We're going to talk about the death of Clever. I like this subject in just a little bit. Did you see I just got a... uh, Throw, you know who Throwboy is? No. Um, he makes those great pillows. I have a twit pillow you see over here, over your head, that he makes. And then he also, I have a, have a you know, LOL pillow. He makes little... I love, I love that twit pillow. Yeah, it makes, it makes uh, you can buy a twit pillow from throwboy.com. He's just started making, uh, this must be his first doll. This is called ICEO. See if you recognize, see if you recognize... <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that funny? Look at that. I C E O. Just one more thing he says. And you know what's cool about what's actually kind of cool about this? They're going he's going to donate 10% of proceeds uh to the American Cancer Society in honor of It doesn't say anybody's name on here, just the I C E O. But that is great. He's in blue jeans, a black turtleneck. That's got the specs. Cool. I love that. Hey, let me talk before we uh before we go much farther. I'd love to talk a little bit about Ford. I wish I could talk. In fact, I'm going to ask them if I could talk at some point about security. They may, you know, not want to talk too much about that, except that they are paying attention to it. You know how it is, security through obscurity and all of that. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, they're not relying on it, but you'd take whatever you can get. Yeah, and best not. If you're really secure, you know, worried about security, but you don't talk about the details. You don't want to give anybody a target. Um, So let's talk about something else. (laughs) Let's talk about... The new website they've just launched, social.ford.com. This is very cool. The idea here is it's a place for Ford lovers, and I'm one of them. I drive that beautiful, beautiful, my Mustang, my uh, 2010 GT 5.0. Lisa, I let Lisa drive it the other day. She said, oh, V8. Yeah, baby. So I could get the Mustang uh, geek badge, but I, I think this is better. This is the tech geek badge. I don't know what. This is the thing. All the kids are doing this now. They're getting badges, right? So you can go to your social.ford.com, get the badge, let them know who you are, and then you can read about, for instance, what if your car could talk to other cars, articles from Ford engineers. I wrote an article actually for it. Uh, Let me see if I can find it. It's in the technologies uh, section. I interviewed a Ford um, technologist. Um, and uh, we, we were talking about autonomous vehicles, Ford Sync, and so forth. Jim Buchkowski. So I kind of wrote up a little article about uh, what I what I got from uh, our conversations uh, with Ford. 
Um, but this, but there's a ton of stuff there. There's also a place where you can put your ideas. So if you've been thinking for a long time, you know, there's a better way. I got an idea. Oh, especially if you're a Ford lover, Ford driver. I like this bumper sticker LCD. <laughs> a console computer controlled LCD display on the bumper in the shape of a bumper sticker with changeable images, <laughs> animation and scrolling text. Thumbs up, baby. Thumbs up. You can log in, uh, create an account with the for- with or use Facebook account to uh, log in if you want. You don't have to. And cast your vote, read ideas, participate, look at images from uh, from owners and more. F- I love this. It's fun. Social.ford.com. And do go to your Ford dealer and test drive a great Ford vehicle today, especially one with that Ford Sync and the My, My Ford Touch. I just downloaded it. They have an app. Uh, this is a great idea. They have an app for the iPhone that simulates My Ford Touch and does training. So actually, it's an iPad app as well. So you can actually simulate what you're going to have on the screens in the vehicle and 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 work and you know learn about it before you buy. That's a great way to test drive on an iPhone. Social.ford.com. Give it a try today, Steve Gibson. Are you ready? Let's talk about the end of Clever. So. Dan's article uh, was, uh, or his security blog posting, was Passwords Under Assault. You can, anyone who wants to read the entire four-page piece can just Google Passwords Under Assault, and uh, it's the first link that comes up. And he titled it, Why Passwords Have Never Been Weaker and Crackers Have Never Been Stronger, which sort of reminds us of, of the famous... Um, uh, Bruce Schneier quote where he noted years ago that attacks never get weaker, they only get better. Um, and, and Dan said, thanks to real world data, the keys to your digital kingdom are under assault. So essentially what's happened is there have been consequences. There's, there's evolutionary effects that we would expect. That is Passwords are, you know, very tasty fruit for hackers to try to grab. And unfortunately, um, websites have proven themselves surprisingly inept at managing user logon credentials. You know, we are we're we're routinely actually covering the the you know major breaches in passwords. It was just a couple months ago in June that LinkedIn famously lost control of 6.5 million passwords. Um, What's happened is, as a consequence of those and other breaches, there was was another major gaming site that lost, I think it was 32 million of their user passwords all at once. Um, and, And so... What, what what's happened is it is it's moved the the hackers understanding of of what passwords people are using from theoretical like you know the planets of the klingon universe to the actual and you know we've learned weird things like monkey is used yeah un, unusually often leo <laughs> you know it's so embarrassing because it in fact was my default password many years ago you know but you know how it's obscure terrible. is that but yeah. the point is that that 
for some bizarre reason, lots of people chose the word monkey. Yeah. Well, nobody would guess that. Oh, yeah. So it's mm -hmm. only by looking, doing statistical analysis of actual password databases that these sorts of things come out. Another thing that is often occurring is that people capitalize words instead of them being like all uppercase or all lowercase. They tend to, you know, first character is capital, then the rest of them are lowercase. Many times people create passwords which are a word followed by four numbers, like, you know, their, their date of birth, for example, or, you know, 1492, you know, what, you know, so, something that is memorable to them, but they think, oh, this is, you know, but clever. That's, that's what you're talking about with password haystacks. That's padding. That's not a bad thing as long as it's not guessable, right? Well, it, okay, so the, the problem with, with patterns, which are, see, like, like the idea of, of, of eight characters where the first one is uppercase and the other ones are lowercase, and then, for example, a four-digit number. If you made it five digits, that is, if you, if you broke the pattern, then you get security. If you don't, what, what analysis of databases have shown hackers is that they're in the same way that for some bizarre reason, the, the password monkey gets chosen way more often than, than, than randomly, people are using eight-character um, alphabetic words followed by four-character numbers. I mean, exactly that pattern. And so, so what happens is if, if that's known or even just believed, that is, if it's, if it's tried for, then it completely changes the math. For example, say that say that you didn't know what the, what a twelve character password was, and that it could use the full alphabet and special characters and numbers. Well, any one character, as we've talked about many times, could have like approximately ninety six different possibilities. So twelve of those would be ninety six to the power of twelve. Since it's 96 for the first character, 96 for the second character, 96 for the third. But we also know that that really only applies if, if the 12 characters are really random. They could be anything. And 96 raised to the power of 12 is 612.7 times 10 to the 21. Huge number. That's 612,700 billion billion possibilities for 12 characters. But people don't choose their 12 characters randomly. And what statistical analysis of these, these captured online databases have shown hackers is that, as I was saying, for example, there's a, there's a huge preponderance of first letter is capitalized, the next seven are lowercase alpha, and then there's followed by four digits. That is like a year. You know, it's something so, so, something generally in the 20th century. <laughs> so what that does is that dramatically changes the math. Now that means you only have 
26 to the raised to the eighth power, since you have only, you know, you're going to have capital A through capital Z, then lowercase a through Z for the next seven characters. Then say that you didn't even constrain it to a, a modern era year, but you just did zero 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 to to nine 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 nine. So now you're at twenty six to the eighth times ten thousand. Well that's only two point zero eight million possibilities compared to six hundred and twelve thousand seven hundred billion billion possibilities. So the point is that by what what hackers have done is by analyzing the actual databases of captured passwords, they have found all of these tendencies. It is, it is it's absolutely no longer the case that we can do anything clever. We cannot use like princess where we change the S's into dollar signs. They got that. <laughs> you can't, you can't use, Pratt. you know, <laughs> Sorry, Leo. You can't use, you know, turn your E's into threes. Uh. They got that too. I mean, all of the all of the kinds of things that people typically do, thinking that they're being clever, trying to sort of essentially, they're we're, we're trying to compromise. We're 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 trying to come up with something that's you know, sort of ours and that we think is is. No, you know, nobody else is going to do. Well, what happened? Surprisingly, because we're all human and we have similar experience, we're generally doing the same things, it turns out. When you statistically look at, an, at 100 million passwords, there aren't that many possible things that people can do that that you know meet these the the these criteria and of course there's certainly some communication among people not everyone is coming up with these things on their own they're they're you know they're talking to their friends about oh like you know what do you do how do you make passwords and so they share some of their ideas oh it was the site was rockyou.com which in 2009 through a sequel injection attack lost their 32 million plain text passwords, which all went into this huge 100 million plus hopper for statistical analysis. So the other thing that has happened is, and this is the evolutionary part, not only are hackers really focusing on this, but as we know, there's been huge movement in technology over time. The, we, we've talked about how GPUs, the graphic processing units in um, th- that are now powering our our graphics cards in order to give us the 3D realism and and high frame rate performance that we want for gaming, those can be repurposed to create essentially cryptographic pipelines, which are able to run cryptographic algorithms at very high speed. One of the takeaways from, from all of this is that hashing was never the right thing to do. Hashing was better than leaving things in plain text, certainly. But hashes were designed 
as we have said before, for speed. They were, they, they were designed to be efficient. But efficiency is exactly what you don't want in password security because it allows brute forcing to run at, at tens of millions of guesses per second. So, so while it's certainly better that sites have been hashing their passwords than not, it turns out that we no longer should consider that very useful. Certainly not if there are, they are unsalted hashes. The, 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 link, the LinkedIn breach that we talked about um, in June where 6.5 million passwords were lost. To give you some sense for this, for how, for, for what this really means in the real world, um, independent security researcher Jeremy Gosney took the LinkedIn, the, the, the leaked LinkedIn unsalted but hashed, it was hashed with SHA-1 database. He applied it against his 500 million strong word list of common words using a, a block of GPUs, which are able to make 15.5 billion guesses per second. This is not the NSA. This is some guy in his bedroom who can do 15.5 billion oh, guesses boy. per second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Against LinkedIn's 6.5 million passwords, he cracked the first 20% in 30 seconds. He had one out of every five cracked in of that 6.5 million passwords cracked in 30 seconds. The next um, 33% took two hours. So in two hours and 30 seconds... He had 53% of them cracked. It began to slow down exponentially so that after a day, 24 hours, he was at 64% of the 6.5 million passwords cracked. And after five days, he had an additional 24%. So, I mean, we're not talking long-term protection here if a database gets loose even if it is salted it's it that, that that's that's no longer the case the other interesting thing to uh google is a new open source uh free gpu based cracking facility called hashcat you should bring it up on screen leo a s h a s h and then space cat, hash cat, so-called, calls itself advanced password recovery. It's the first word, the first result in Google. And it's just a hashcat.net also. Um, and it says, you know, download the latest version. The requirements are, and uh, for NVIDIA users, you need to have their Forceware version 290.40 or later. For AMD users, you need to have Catalyst 12.4 or, or later. And it looks, you know, like a very nice professional piece of work. Under features, uh, they, they claim the world's fastest MD5 crypt, pass, 
MS Cash 2, and WPA WPA2 Cracker, the world's first and only GPGPU rule-based engine. Its multi-GPU support can run 16 graphics processing units in parallel, uh, has native binaries for both Linux and Windows, um, low resource utilization. You can still watch movies or play games while cracking in the background. Isn't that, <laughs> isn't that convenient? There's plenty of CPUs to spare. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, focuses on highly iterated modern hashes. Uh, uses dictionary-based attacks. So you can even pause it and resume it while cracking. So it has all the features of a modern password cracking system. Uh, can uh, read words from a file, so you can have dictionaries, can read them from standard in. It has an integrated thermal watchdog, just in case you overheat your system by running too this many hashes. Nicely too done. Nicely done. <laughs> Isn't it nice? Yeah. More than 20 algorithms, MD5, Joomla, OS Commerce, SHA-1, Base64, Oracle 11G. Here we have OS X version 10.4, 10.5, 10.6, and a little bit lower is 10.7. Not to be outdone. We've got double MD5, SHA 256. Oh, there's NT Land Manager. Microsoft's NTLM is there. And on and on and on. So, yeah. Oh, and runs in both 32 and 64 bit OSs, tested and fully supported. And free. Did I mention that? Free. Yes, free. Free. So so you no longer need to be a GPU programming guru. And, and of course, this is the this is the same pattern that we see over and over and over. Remember when Fire Sheep was released, which allowed anyone to download this add-on for Firefox, wander over to Starbucks, and people's Pictures and logon credentials started popping onto the screen. What we're seeing is the the standard evolution that that in in password cracking technology that once you know truly was rocket science. Now it's turnkey. Um, I mean, it's not quite where Moxie is with you know capture packets through the ether, dump it into his cloud crack, and and he'll handle all that for you but somebody who is interested in playing with this no longer needs to write a lot of code or understand it there are videos on that site um you know how to's forums and uh, an offer to download the latest version into your gpu and you too can start uh cracking like crazy and of course those forums will have links to the hundred million plus password databases and 500 million word lists and so forth. So, I mean, th this this really has gone exponential in terms of the 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 fun that people are having and and how easy it is. That's <laughs> nice way to put it. To get <laughs> to get in get to get into the password cracking business. So, you know, um looking at these at these lists, the the that essentially no one is any longer believing that people's passwords are truly maximum entropy random. What this says is 
I mean, it is, it is, as you said earlier, Leo, using a last pass generated long, absolutely unmemorizable password is the best thing you can do. Now, my, my haystacks notion was a, was a compromise, admittedly. It was, it was the recognition that in the face of brute forcing, length trumps well, length trumps complexity because if you're off by one character, you get no result whatsoever. It's got to be an exact match. So close doesn't count. So the idea was the, the, the password haystacks idea was, was to get you something long if, if you couldn't use LastPass or you, for whatever reason, you didn't want to, you needed something memorable that would not be quickly crackable. That's the problem, it, memorable. And that's where we get this complication, right? Yes. And now, it is still the case. And I think on the maybe the last page of Dan's four-page piece, he shows a very interesting chart, which you should put on the screen if you can find it there, Leo, yes. where it goes exponential. Um, there is still the so-called password cracking wall, which which means in the if, if if none of these dictionary attacks work, if if your password isn't something a normal word where the e's are changed into threes or three exclamation points are added to the end, or you know if 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 it's not something where you have been clever, but in fact it is not the the password you're using doesn't fail in any of those ways and you have to assume now clever is broken clever is no longer good enough if it if it doesn't match that then you're back to brute forcing so and, and boy and does it go up after seven characters yes. of true randomness it gets yes. impossible and it doesn't matter if you use a GPU right. or if you use cloud cracking right. or anything. So, so to, to, to put a number on it, there's a picture shown of a, a homebrew $12,000 machine containing eight AMD Radeon HD 7970 GPU cards running Hashcat. It requires 12 hours to brute force the entire eight-character password key space. Oh, of okay. random, random numbers, random yes. letters. Now, now remember that the, 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 what I said at the very top of the password haystacks page was if every single one is tested, sooner or later they will get yours. Right. So this thing for $12,000, eight AMD Radeon GPU cards running Hashcat takes 12 hours to test every possible eight-character password. That's upper and lower digits and symbols. Yes, but thing. now remember, you add one character to that, yeah. and it's 96 times longer. One more character, 96 times again. One more character, 96 times again. So that's why this thing still exponentiates. It goes straight up. Right. Because, um, because as, if you really have very high entropy, if you have not 
if your password hasn't crumbled because you did something that you thought was clever. Oh, another one that they that, that is mentioned here I thought was interesting was that apparently again lots of people think, "Oh, I'm being tricky. No one's ever no one's going to think of this." is to spell a word forwards and then concatenate that word backwards. Whoops, they know about that too. So <laughs> will... that's not that tricky. <laughs> so so and really, it shouldn't the be the death of clever, the just the death of death of kind of clever or maybe clever or you think you're clever. Yeah, I just don't think you can be clever enough. That's yeah, the that's problem. It. Yeah, random is, is better what, than clever. What has been learned is that that we're just not very good yeah. at coming up with something really clever. I mean, you know, the classic was transposing the keys on the keyboard. Yeah, they know about that, too. There are <laughs> dictionaries of all the words shifted one up and right. over to the left or, you know, one down and over to the right and so forth. All of that. So the idea is that what we as users need to appreciate is in this day and age, this is the low-hanging fruit. The, the hackers are just having a ball, literally spending their time thinking, okay, um, what, you know, they, they, they'll look at a password that was captured and think, that looks random. Where did that come from? And they'll realize, oh, look, that's shifted down and to the right from a normal word in the English language. So they add that strategy to their to their cracking library, and suddenly all passwords of that form fall to the addition of that strategy. And this is only going to get better in the future. So if, if you haven't yet switched to something that will not fall to this kind of attack, the sooner you do, the better. Wow. Um, and one other piece of, of analysis showed that the typical web user is um, they're logging on to um, – I'm trying to find the number here. I just saw it. It's like 20 – I think it's uh, 26 different sites but only using six and a half on average. That is between six and seven different passwords mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so it is still the case that we're seeing cross site oh it's 25 25 separate accounts mm -hmm. but uses between six and seven passwords for protection so there is still a substantial amount of password reuse going on and you know we know why that's not safe because if a site like linkedin with it's six and a half million passwords and associated email addresses. If those passwords get cracked and they, you know, 90% of them have been now after a couple months and you use the same credential elsewhere, then you're very vulnerable to impersonation, which is, of course, all of what this is supposed to be protecting us from. So um, the argument is that, yes, over time we are... We are moving to multi-factor authentication. But unfortunately, there's, you know, today, in this day and age, we're still being forced to authenticate with passwords. And, and the, you know, that's, this is where the action is. People are having fun just with the idea that a GPU 
has this much computing power and all these resources are available on the Internet. It is you no longer need to be a rocket scientist in order to, to play these games and, and play with this stuff. And the consequence is that more and more people are going to be doing so. And that, you know, freely downloadable software is going to be getting more and more clever so that anything that that you've thought of that you you think is like your trick is is you know <laughs> it's those you know your tricks have gotten loose or people like your tricks have gotten loose they've been analyzed and added to the strategy so that it's no longer true it's no longer just simple try every possible password you know a a a a a a a a a a a b a a a a a c and so forth so what we need to do is 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 abandon this and just use entropy ultra high entropy passwords and something then to manage them like you know last pass of course is what i use one password um, you know, and there and there, there's a collection of you know of great utilities to help people remember. I haven't looked at any of the others. That that is the security of any of the others other than LastPass. So that's the one, as we know, that I've looked at closely. And as far as I can tell, they've done everything right. But um, I would say, from this point on, and as you have the chance, you really want to um, you want to migrate around from or m- migrate away from things you did that you felt were clever because if if those get loose and that's unfortunately that's the that is the attack model today it's not somebody logging in through the web interface guessing your account no it's their database on the back end escapes and and then millions of credentials are being are are being cracked in parallel <sighs> yeah. yeah, yeah, I have all these tricks that I use, but see, I, it, it really you're convincing me the tricks are just a bad idea. You just should use totally random passwords. Who would have guessed that everyone would choose monkey? You know, well, we weren't telling each other. We I didn't were think that choose- was a trick. I knew that was bad. A dictionary <laughs> word, yeah. But then, I mean, all these other tricks are bad too. Apparently, so yes, yeah. yes. But I mean, think about it. Anything you can think of. They can too. But right. more importantly, you thought of it and you used it. And then some website where you used it right. got cracked. What yep. happens is the hackers look closely at the ones they could not crack. Mm-hmm. And they go, hmm, why couldn't we oh, crack? Oh, that's neat. Yeah. And they try and to find patterns in it. They zero, exactly. They yeah. zero in on the ones they couldn't crack, and that leads them to strategies they don't yet have crackers for, and so they add crackers for those strategies. And this is why you need regular wars so people like this can go to places like Bletchley Park and use their genius for good, not ill. Yeah. I rest my case. No, I don't. Yeah, I do. I mean, the good news is we're talking about this on the podcast. We've got you know, tens of thousands of listeners who are hearing this, who have advanced notice. Are doing as I'm doing and changing their passwords right now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, the nice thing, too, is you can you, you can use something like LastPass that has learned all of your passwords and go through 
and figure out which ones you really need to change. I have had some neat feedback also um, from our, our podcast about, um, was it Tom Honan? Matt Tom? Honan. Matt. Matt, yeah, Matt. Um, got a little bit of alliteration there or, or, or dyslexia. Um, yeah, Matt, um, many people were um, focusing their um, password recovery in the same way that he was. And so I've had a lot of feedback from people who said, hey, you know, thanks for explaining that. I was doing the same thing. I'm, I've broken my accounts apart now so that they're no longer chaining in the yeah. same way that, that, that Matt yeah. was. So yeah. Yeah. that's good, too. I'm, I'm glad that, you know, we're able to help people. LastPass has a security, a password security audit feature. I did, I'm seeing Jesse tells me in the chat room. I didn't you know, know I thought it did. And yeah. I, I, yes. So try that. It, I, you know, it finds duplicate passwords, I think, is mostly what it does. But uh, well, but that's good, too, because we know that we don't want to have unique reuse. Unique is good. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm more and more using that generate from LastPass to uh, generate passwords. It seems to, I do, seems too. To I, I resisted it at first because it's like, oh, you know, that looks just, look, that just, just look looks nasty. like total noise. Yeah. But that's the point. Yeah. You want something that looks like noise and trust LastPass to remember it for you. Mr. Steve Gibson is the man at grc.com. That's where you can find Spinrite, his, uh, his bread and butter, and the world's best hard drive maintenance and recovery utility, Spinrite at grc.com. He's got a lot of freebies there, too, though, including lots of information on passwords and, uh, and uh, security of all kinds of freebies. It's grc.com. That's where you'll find the most compact versions of this show. There's a 16-kilobit audio version Steve's makes available, and also transcriptions, which are even more compact. We do the big fat ones, the audio and the video at twit.tv slash SN. And of course, the best way to get it is to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can watch live. And, we, and I think it's fun to watch live. I, I talk with the chat room while, while we're doing the show and fill them in. For instance, somebody said, well, is OpenVPN safe given this uh, chap V2 crack? And of course yes, it is. because it it used, used, it's an SSL VPN. Yeah, yeah, so that's good news. Yep. So if you want to watch live, uh, we do it at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, 1800 UTC on twit.tv every Wednesday. We are going to move you, Steve, just a heads up. If ah. Apple does its announcement September 12th, that's a Wednesday. Ah, okay. But we don't know will yet because they haven't I sent I out swap, invites. Will I swap with Mac Break Yeah, weekly? we'll just swap you to Tuesday so at 11 we'll a.m. But we probably yeah, won't I know did. that till September 5th because Apple doesn't like to tell anybody. Ahead of time. Although I did see, you're right, I saw that a number of... Like what was it? Uh, retail staffs had been put Verizon. on Verizon. Yeah, right. I think it's true, but uh, but you know, I'm not going to reschedule a show based on a rumor. Andy and Aka's um, flying out based on a rumor. <laughs> um, uh, Jen was asking what the iPhone five has. Is it is it like more than just thinner? It goes All to eleven. It'll be uh, a taller, four inches tall. Well, it's all rumor. And 11.36 by, what was it, uh, 6.40? I can't remember, 11.36. Wow, so even more screen resolution. Yeah, going up, though. Yeah. 16.9. And so, thinner. And uh, we don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen oh. thinner, although I think that's the speculation. And a new connector, a new nine-pin connector. Oh, that's right. No longer that big docking, no the traditional pin. docking connector. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Uh, LTE, for sure, because you got to nowadays. But I don't know if there's much else. We've seen iOS 6. You know, there's an improved Siri, things like that. Yeah. No more and Google you, Maps. And you, you've seen that the Nexus 7 is doing phenomenally well. And rightly so, yeah. Yeah. Love it. 
And I'm looking forward. You know, the Galaxy Note comes out in a week. The Galaxy Note 2. And I love that big form factor. The five, It'll be a five and a half inch screen. So it's heating up. Right. It's getting hot in here. It is. <laughs> Fun Thank stuff. you. Thank you, Steve. Steve Gibson, GRC.com. We'll let you know uh, as, as, as soon as Apple lets everybody else know if we're going to move shows. That's not for a few weeks yet. And it's no problem for me. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Security Now. Security Now.